one and we are recording, recording in progress with the one and only mr alan dershowitz on monday april 17th 2023 at 501 p.m eastern time thank you so much for doing this sir and your book get trump is in the description your twitter is also in the description um so there it is and so your as 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 far as I understand it is your analysis is that it this isn't a just case, but it it it's not that it should happen, but you're pragmatic and you're saying it will happen. He won't have a fair trial and he will be arrested. Could you maybe well, elaborate I, on that? I compare it to what happened in the South in the 1960s. I was uh, training to be uh, an observer in the South, and I was taught at Howard University that. If you spit on the sidewalk, you will be found guilty of a felony because they're targeting you and it'll be an all white uh, Jim Crow uh, jury and you won't have a fighting chance to win. So don't spit on the sidewalk. Don't put your cigarettes out on the sidewalk. And sometimes people were arrested for doing that, even though they didn't do it. Uh, there was no justice in the South in 1960. I don't want to compare uh, the Jim Crow South to New York City. I love New York City. But in New York City, Donald Trump can't get justice. Uh, the vast majority of the people uh, support Bragg, the DA. Many, many voted for him. He essentially promised to get Trump if he were elected. And so you're going to have jurors now who are going to try to help him keep his campaign promise to get Trump. So the case should be moved out of uh, Manhattan to a different, uh, more objective uh, district. Uh, there's no case here. There is no case. There's no misdemeanor. There's no felony. The theory behind the misdemeanor, and I set it all out clearly and get Trump, I set out all the charges against him. The theory is this. If you pay hush money to somebody to make sure that nobody, your wife, your family, your voters, never, ever, ever learn that you had an adulterous affair with a woman to whom you were not married, that you immediately then have to put on your corporate forms the reason you paid the hush money. Has anybody in history ever done that? Did, yeah. did, did Alexander Hamilton do that uh, when he paid the hush money? It's never happened. It never will happen. And so I issued a challenge to Bragg. I said, show me a single case where anybody has ever been prosecuted for a misdemeanor even for failing to report hush money on a corporate form. And of course, there's been no response. And the felony is even more absurd. There's no misdemeanor. But if there were a misdemeanor, in order to elevate it to a felony, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he intended to cover up a more serious crime. So the two theories are he intended to cover up a uh, political donation, but the people who handle political donations said there was no case. And the other one is that he may have been thinking about entering it in his tax returns as a business expense. Two responses. First, it probably was a business expense. It helps his business to prevent uh, loss of reputation. Sure. And second, who knows what he would have done two years from then when he filed his tax return? Well, believe me, he wasn't thinking of saving $12,000, which would have been the amount that he saved uh, when he put that uh, form together. That's not what was on his mind. So there is no misdemeanor case. There is no felony case. There is no case at all. So then I think it is beyond a reasonable doubt that this is political. We all and this this is how I compare it. In the same way we all knew just from empirical observation and gut feelings that there was government involvement through social media from 2020 forward, but we didn't really get the files, which are important, 
you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. We didn't get them until Elon Musk bought Twitter. So it is important, but I think in our gut, we can feel this is political. My point in saying that is, is this an inflection point? Is this, yeah. is this a point of no return in that as, as this happens, we can't go backwards. Is the, is the country forever stained by this? And is this the, are we going over a waterfall of uh, political witch hunts and persecutions? And could this ultimately be the death of this country? It might be decades from now, but is that it? Well, death of this country. We have a strong country. We have a system of checks and balances, but it will do more harm than McCarthyism ever did. Uh, McCarthyism was a throwback to the past. It was an attempt to try to put blame on people who had been communists in the 1930s. It was done by old men who basically uh, were at the end of their careers. Whereas this new McCarthyism is being done by young people, by people who are now at colleges and universities, by professors. It's the wave of the future. And um, this is an inflection point. This is a point of, uh, of no return. There are two alternatives. Either the lesson of this will be that there are rules just for some people and not for others, Trump, get Trump, or there will be a precedent established and Republicans will do the same thing to Democrats. And we will be sliding down a slippery slope where we've politicized our criminal justice system and made it something that nobody believes in. Uh, neither of those alternatives are acceptable. I think you may overstate it when you think about it being the end of America, but it's it certainly diminishes the rule of law in America and diminishes civil liberties. And the worst part of it is that old civil libertarians, the ACLU professors uh, at Harvard Law School and other places who generally speak out in favor of civil liberties are remaining not only silent, but they're supporting the McCarthyites in this instance. Um, as many Harvard professors supported the McCarthyites in the 1950s, so and students did. So it's a very, very dangerous point. And there are very few of us who are anti-Trump politically, who are willing to stand up for civil liberties and not make an exception for Trump. And that's why I wrote Brett Trump, because it says right on the back cover, in the beginning of the back cover, as someone who voted against Trump twice, et cetera, et cetera. This is not a pro-Trump book. This is a pro-Constitution book. And but you you now you've you've uh you've signed the John Hancock you have now you are now going to be a target for you are a Trump lover because there is there is no rational discourse when it comes to that it's it's orange man bad and anyway. I'm already a target uh, a project called project 65 which is a group of McCarthyite lawyers who have set out to destroy the legal careers of any lawyers who supported Trump much like the McCarthyites did in the 1950s, uh, where they went after lawyers, civil liberties lawyers, who were anti-communists, but who defended people who were accused of communism. Uh, they've gone after me. Uh, they filed a bar charge against me. I'm told. I haven't seen a copy of it, but um, or they haven't served me or anything, but I've seen media reports about it. Uh, a bar charge against me in Massachusetts, where, where I'm licensed to practice law, and they've gone after uh, other lawyers, Project 65, I think they've targeted 65 lawyers, uh, much in the spirit of Joseph McCarthy. Where do you feel on a on a personal note? Because So I've had on Dr. McCullough 20 plus times, and he, he talks about through all the rigors of medical school and residency and internship, there are things that you aren't taught, you know, and he brings up the, the suppression of alternative treatments to COVID-19, et cetera, where there are no study guides, you are 
you're kind of out on your own. You're mapping, you're you're sailing towards the horizon, and you're pretty sure the Earth's a globe, but you're not sure. Maybe it is flat, and you're going to go over. And he called it the medical Super Bowl, where you're at the pinnacle of your life, and you simply have to go on. There is no scientific precedent. There's no flow chart. There's just the inner voice, which y- you hope is accurate. So more on a more personal note, what does this feel like for you? Is this planting your feet and going, I didn't vote for the guy. I don't like the guy, but I can look beyond emotion and I know what the precedent is for future generations. Well, first of all, there are parts of Donald Trump that I do like. Uh, okay. I don't make bad people. Do I like, don't I like I worked with him on the Middle East peace process. I like that very much. I worked with him on um, anti-Semitism on college campuses. I like that very much. I didn't like many other things that he did. Um, I liked that he warp speeded the vaccine. Uh, you know, the, everybody has a mixed view. Thomas Jefferson, I have mixed feelings about. Uh, Nelson Mandela, I have mixed feelings about. So why should I not have mixed feelings about Donald Trump? Um, But on balance, my feelings incline me to vote for Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton and and whoever it look, if he runs against uh, uh, um, Bernie Sanders, I'm not voting for Bernie Sanders under any circumstances. Um, So, you know, it's but personally, I've always been a cynic. I've always looked at my colleagues uh, at the Harvard Law School and I've always asked them, you know, if the Nazis had come and I was a Jew and I wanted to go to their houses to hide, how many of them would hide me and how many of them would throw me out? Uh, That's a question that every Jew who lived during the Holocaust asks uh, of themselves. And and my answers were always cynical. Um, um, There were a tremendous number of hypocrites uh, at Harvard Law School, at Yale Law School, um, wherever I was. And uh, I always tried to stand for principle myself and I wouldn't vary my principles. That got me into a lot of trouble um, with faculty and with students as well. I don't bend to other people's uh, philosophies. Um, as uh, Lillian Hellman said, I will not uh, suit my, my, my principles to today's styles. I've just never done that. And I never will do that. And it will never get me friends. This has been the worst. Uh, look, I lost some friends when I defended O.J. Simpson, Mike Tyson, Mike Milton, Leona Helmsley, um, you name it, but nothing like Trump. Jeffrey Epstein, but nothing like Trump. Um, with Trump, you know, Larry David has been my good friend for years and years and years. I helped his daughter get into college. Uh, comes up to me on the porch of the Chilmark store in Martha's Vineyard and screams and yells at me with his veins bulging. It, it was as if he ran into Adolf Hitler. Or, 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 or Goebbels or Goering, uh, he saw me as the epitome of evil um, because I defended Donald Trump on the floor of the Senate and because I supported some of his views um, and didn't condemn him universally on everything he's done and because I supported his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who I think did a wonderful job. I'm just not going to listen to, and, and but on Martha's Vineyard and in other places, you have to be a good Scotsman. You have to absolutely follow the political line. Stalin would have loved Martha's Vineyard because everybody on Martha's Vineyard is politically correct. Nobody deviates even one inch. Nobody has their own opinions whatsoever. It's the opinion of the crowd. And you have to follow the opinion of the crowd. 
And if you don't, you won't be invited to speak at the library, uh, a public supported institution. I've had to negotiate a speech at the at the library because they banned me. They banned my books. Imagine a library paid for by the government banning books, which they don't approve of. My book, Get Trump, has been banned in, not only in libraries, but it's been banned in independent bookstores. It was the number one nonfiction on Amazon.com for several weeks, and yet you couldn't buy it in an independent bookstore. The independent bookstores did not want to be selling a title like Get Trump. So we have this private, non-governmental censorship which permeates the left today, and that's the new McCarthyism. It's wild. It's, I mean, as as someone that's been permanently banned from most video platforms, I, you know, and I don't have the reach or the name you have. But no, I, I get it when I'm like, oh, I used to think that you could have on people that would have rational discourse, and the moment you come out and say something remotely in defense of Trump, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe we should wind down the war machine. There is this visceral. I mean, throwing holy water on a witch response where you're like, this isn't this isn't even rational. Like is it... today you could say things like maybe get out of wars, et cetera. But if you attribute them to your support for Trump, no matter what they are, um, you could say, I believe in justice and the American way because Trump does. You'll be booed. Uh, but if you just say, I believe in the American way, that's OK. But anything associated with Trump is radioactive today. And there really is, there really is, I doubted this when I first heard about it, but there really is a Trump derangement syndrome. Actually, I invented that term 20 years ago before Trump. I called it the Israel derangement syndrome. You could talk to people about any subject at Harvard uh, or at Yale, but as soon as you mention Israel, ah, everybody got, goes nuts. Their, their, their mind deranges. I actually wrote about that. It's like, it's like an omelet they, that's being brought. It falls apart. You cannot have a rational discussion of Israel or Trump. Those are the two issues that, in my experience, cause derangement in people. The interesting thing on Martha's Vineyard is the same people who won't speak to you about Israel are the same people who won't talk to you about Trump. And some of them are Jewish, interestingly enough, uh, but they're rabid Israel haters uh, because the Soviet Union hate, hated Israel. Russia hates Israel. And many of these people just take their views from the hard left. Uh, and, and they don't think for themselves. And they think as a group. And it's, again, the new McCarthyism, much more dangerous than the old McCarthyism. I'm reading Guns, Germs, and Steel, but I think it's Jared Great. Diamond. And it, I like That is a tome and a half. But he keeps bringing up the... Um, the simultaneous discoveries on different parts of the world, right? And which yeah. implies a natural law. They both discovered, you know, the circumference or geometry. So it's a natural law. I feel like that's where we are right now in this conversation is we're discovering these natural laws because, again, as someone that's done 1,185 episodes of this podcast, I can tell you, other than Trump derangement syndrome, the most unhinged emails you get is you come anywhere close to how come you won't bring up the Jewish question. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And from, from crazy stuff like flat earth to, to nine 11, to COVID to, to Woodrow Wilson. And it is, there's no other explanation for it other than derangement. It's a psychosis. You see it everywhere. 
when I spoke at Yale some years ago, before Trump, I, I was speaking about Thomas Jefferson, and all the questions were about Israel. Um, I, I didn't remember Thomas Jefferson ever visiting Israel, but uh, they, they, were, they were all about Israel. If you're seen as a Jewish supporter of Israel, then the derangement syndrome comes into full blast, and you can't write about anything. The same thing is now true with Trump. Anything I try to speak about uh, is about is about Trump, um, and, uh, and it becomes about this 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 derangement syndrome, and it's it it spreads. It spreads to other things as well, and it really puts us in a place where it's very hard to have rational discussions. Bill Buckley and I were friends. Uh, he was a great conservative commentator. We would argue like children on his television show or on his other, and we had debates at Harvard. And then we'd go out and have a drink and say, you know, you made an interesting point there. And, uh, you know, I've actually changed my mind about that. Today, nobody changes their mind because they don't have minds uh, to change. They just have uh, computer chips, which have been programmed. And um, you just go to places like Martha's Vineyard and you see the group think, you understand how fascism could take hold or communism could take hold. You understand what happens when people refuse to think for themselves. That's how dangerous this is. In the in the final minute I have you, having your mind changed is a lot to me like going to the gym or dieting or meditating or reading a book every day. It starts yeah. as this, you know it's good for you, but you don't want to do it. And as you lean into it, you start to like it. It's a new pleasure. It's not the immediate gratification of a Big yeah. Mac, but it's a it's a different, you like it. I've found through this podcast early on, it's, oh, I don't want to talk to someone I don't agree with, to then you, I'll tolerate it. Now, to me, it's one of the most exquisite curiosities to, to feel the plasticity of your brain shifting and then the well. humility of saying, I was, I was wrong. wrong. Well, you know, the great just the great judge Leonard Hand once said, the spirit of the liberty is the spirit that isn't so sure it was right. And he would have written on the top of every courthouse and every school, I beseech ye in the bowels of Christ to consider you may be wrong. And for 50 years I taught at Harvard with that theory, you may be wrong, I may be wrong. This is an enterprise in truthing, a process of truthing. Truth doesn't come from on high. I wrote a book called uh, uh, Rights from Wrongs, where I have a theory of where rights come from. They come from experience. They come from particularly experience with wrongs. And the recognition that we may be wrong is a central part of uh, democracy and the rule of law. And it's something that's being today rejected. And that's why I wrote Get Trump. My audience is young people who I want to see change their mind. Don't know whether I'll succeed. But at, at 84 years old, I'm keeping trying. You, you got to keep trying. And I mean, that's one of the great things about this podcast is there's video evidence. So I can't even pretend to not change my mind. I have to look back at old episodes and go, I was wrong. So, but Mr. Dershowitz, I said I'd let you go after 20 minutes and I'm going to be a man of my word. Thank well, you. I have my podcast that starts at 530. So I have to be ready for that. Thank I you so much in your podcast thank you sir i'd love to have you on again guys in the description is the link to his book and his twitter please go follow him and please consider that you might be wrong mr dershowitz yep. thank you sir my thank pleasure you. thank you bye-bye